0: Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and thank you once again for joining us for this great podcast. I am W.J. Sheehan, author of the series Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters. Available in paperback ebook and in the KDP lending library at Amazon.com. With four of the seven volumes also in audiobook at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon. Now, listen up. Christmas is just around the bend, and these would make a great and conversational gift for somebody you know at home or in the office. So do partake of a purchase. And as many of you already know, the first segment of our show is aptly named Cryptids in the News and Other Oddities. And today, I believe Kevin is stacking his chips in the Other Oddities corner of the podcasting table. I have many and varied interests when it comes to the strange and unusual, and I believe that many of you do as well. So let me introduce my brother, Kevin, and let's just see what he has up his sleeve for this episode. Kevin, come on on board, brother.
1: Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> How
0: you going, doing, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I've just had my new eyeglasses sized up today. Nice. So I'm going to be four eyes for another year. Excellent. <laughs> I'm
1: still a little blurry
0: because I don't get mine until the end of the month. <laughs> yes. So, so i tell you what I told the doctor today. I says, you know, something wasn't quite right with this pair. And I kept saying to myself, I'm going to go back, I'm going to go back. Well, here I am a year later, <laughs> and still wearing them.
1: Yeah, the time goes by
0: fast, for sure. It, it really does. And today they had uh, something new, like a blue light filter. Mm. They're offering this blue light filter, which he said is excellent uh, for me being on the computer so much. He said the blue light is the most damaging yeah. And, Does it allow
1: uh, you to see Bigfoot better in a low-light uh, well, situation?
0: Don't I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I hope it doesn't filter out red eyes.
1: <laughs> Maybe a mothman flying by? Me? Yeah, well, you never know. know, you if don't... you're in a graveyard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I just... Uh, you know, I don't know if they're trying to hit you with a sales pitch when you go there, but I'd like to think the doctor's trying to steer you down the right road, you know?
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's hard hard to not be a little uh, a little suspicious.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, every time I walk in there, they're hitting me for a, a hundy or a two hundy, you know? <laughs> and meanwhile, everything's supposed to be included in my plan when I oh, walk in I the door. So what do you got, bro? I think you got something cool for us. Yeah, we
1: are going to some new territory for the podcast. So uh, normally we're talking about the big hairy man, even in the oddities segment. Although, you know, we have covered some other things like dog man and moth man, etc. But
0: Mm -hmm. today
1: we're going to talk about good old fashioned UFOs.
0: Ah, oh, cool. I love UFOs. And not the Bigfoot variety. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I wonder if Bigfoot's capable of flying a UFO. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, How about that uh, Chew- Chewbacca cat in the Star Chewbacca, Wars? Chewbacca, uh? <laughs> there you go.
1: Yeah, so I, this one, uh, this is an an old encounter, but it was in the news very recently in a great article. I would encourage folks to go out and uh, read on uh, November 12th, 2019, Popular Mechanics, and the author is Tim McMillan, put out an article about the infamous Nimitz encounter.
0: Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, you know that one, Bill? That's the one involving the uh, what they call the Tic Tac? Exactly, the Tic Tac. Yeah. yeah, that's incredible.
1: It's incredible, and they have a really thorough... Uh, documentation of it, which originally happened back around November 10th. Actually, I'll go into it here, but between November 10th and November 16th of 2004. And then it was disclosed in December 2017 um, uh, by the To the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences, which is kind of the long-winded name of a group formed by the uh, former Blink-182 lead singer. And he published a one-minute and 16-second clip uh, on YouTube and the New York Times that featured uh, footage from the uh, advanced targeting, forward-looking infrared uh, system from some F-18s from the Nimitz carrier where they were out chasing this thing. Yeah. Super cool. And by the way, you can, I'll put the link on our website to uh, both the article and the uh, YouTube video in case folks haven't seen it,
0: or if they haven't seen it in a while, they can go into it. Yeah, you know, Kevin, and as you start digging into this, you know, this is just one event that somehow got loose. Exactly. Can you can you imagine in your mind, if you let your, your imagination wander for a little while, just how many of such uh, events such as this have actually happened that well, we know so, nothing about? So
1: this one struck close to home for me because, you know, it happened in November 2004, right off the coast of Southern California. And I don't know if you remember, Bill, but I had to go back and look at the date. But it was November 2015. When I saw that wild thing, uh, UFO off the coast in LA, um, uh, while I was standing on a cliff with like 50 other people that I work with, we saw this UFO for a period of like 15 minutes. I videotaped it, I took pictures of it, and it was right off the coast of Los Angeles. Um, it filled up half of the sky, again, for 15, 20 minutes. And no one said anything about what this was until like 48 hours later, they said, oh, yeah, we were testing a uh, ICBM, you know, off of a submarine or something like that. And I was like, "Okay, I'm not that I'm not a real skeptic of what the government says compared to some. And I was like, are you kidding me? Why the heck would you test something at eight o'clock at night off of Los Angeles and not announce it?
0: Yeah, yeah, it seems really odd. That's
1: very odd, right? So Yeah. So this is the same exact time of year only uh, you know, 10 years earlier. So I was like, "Oh, that's pretty cool. Let's let's take a look at this again."
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that that area over there, uh, the coast of California, particularly like the northernmost section of uh California, I guess from like mid state northward, is just rife with UFO activity. Yeah,
1: and this was down south. So, you know, it was between San Diego and Los Angeles. So uh-huh. two very populous places. Yeah. And again, Friday night, Bill, really at yeah. eight o'clock, you're gonna test something that's controversial? I don't think so.
0: Yeah, you know? I don't think so either. Yeah. And yeah. you know what? If you're gonna test something, why not do it during the daytime? Uh, why not? Dur- why during the night when the sky's gonna light up? Or- why not light
1: up half of the sky?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, <laughs> scare the people out of their uh, shorts.
1: Well, and that was it. We were all look, you know, we were all there together, and it was frightening. I'll I'll put some of the pictures I took with my iPhone up on the website too. So, of course, this is a completely different encounter. So this is in uh, uh, 2004. And I'm going to read you uh, what they call the executive summary that, um, you know, comes out. It's the unofficial executive summary of the Nimitz encounter that was also published in Popular Mechanics. So I'm going to read you this. It's pretty short, but it's a good summary. And then we can get into different aspects of it. Yeah, Okay. All right. So they say during the period of approximately... The 10th to the 16th of November in 2004, the Nimitz Carrier Strike Group was operating off the western coast of the United States in preparation for their deployment to the Arabian Sea. The USS Princeton, on several occasions, detected multiple anomalous aerial vehicles, or AAVS, I guess kind of like UFOs, Mm -hmm. operating in and around the vicinity of the Carrier Strike Group. The AAVs would descend very rapidly from approximately 60,000 feet to approximately 50 feet in a matter of seconds. They would then hover or stay stationary on the radar for a short time and depart at high velocities and, and turning rates. And then on November 14th, after again detecting the AAVs, the USS Princeton took the opportunity of having a flight of two FA 18 fighters returning from a training mission to further investigate the AAVs or UFOs. The USS Princeton took over control of the FA 18s from the E2C. You remember them, Bill, those yep. Grumman turboprops with the big disc on the top.
0: Yeah, Dad used to call them the sub hunters.
1: Exactly. And vectored the FA 18s for intercept, leading to visual contact approximately one mile away from the AAV. So they flew them over till they were about a mile away from these things, which was reported to be an elongated egg or a tic tac shape, like the breath mint tic tac. Yeah. With a discernible midline horizontal axis. It was solid white, smooth with no edges. It was uniformly colored with no, no nacelles, pylons, or wings. It was approximately 46 feet in length. And the F A 18s radar could not obtain a lock on the AAV. However, it could be tracked while stationary and at lower speeds with the forward-looking infrared radar. So it's kind of weird. Like, the regular radar couldn't see these things, but they could see it with the FLIR.
0: Now, you know, I'm wondering, though, uh, and this is really what our stealth technology is all Absolutely. about. Uh, Absolutely. Give, giving that silhouette where the radar can't come back. Yeah, it just absorbs right. the radar waves. So it's it's very interesting. Now, the, the F-A-18, isn't that the Hornet? That's the Hornet, yeah. Okay, yeah. And that's a high-speed aircraft. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm sure it's uh, well along uh, with the technology as far as Whatever's available, they've got it on board. Oh, they got everything. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So super cool. They're there, and they're tracking it. This video, you know, the gun camera video from the Hornets, the F 18s uh, they're up online. You can see them clear as day. You see one of these things, you know, that they call a tic-tac, looks like a tic-tac, and you hear the pilots talking about it, and this is all released now. And uh, it's just crazy, absolutely crazy that this was all there. You know, all this, all this footage is available.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the most remarkable things is, and uh, they had a show on this a number of weeks ago. I don't know if you caught any of those episodes. Uh, they had a guy on there that was a former, I believe he was a Navy intelligence officer. They also, uh, had the, uh, radar guy, one of the chief radar, uh, 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 or, uh, crewmen, uh, that I believe was on that boat you mentioned, uh, both of them talking frankly and openly about what was seen, what was known about it, and what could be done about it, and it was really an eye-opener, uh, As they spoke about these craft coming from, as you said, 60,000 feet right down onto the deck uh, in a matter of seconds. And then the planes were chasing it along the surface of the water. And this thing was moving at a ridiculous amount of speed uh, over the waves. Uh, and they couldn't. They couldn't get it. No matter what they did. No matter how they tried to turn on it, uh, to draw a bead on it with the radar, to get a look at it. Uh, this thing was just outmaneuvering them in ways that are not humanly known.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, and again, high rate of speed, high altitude, eighty thousand feet. You know, pretty darn high. And then yeah. down to fifty feet. You know, five zero feet above the water. Yeah. And they said doing about a hundred knots. Wow. You know, so probably 120 miles an hour, which is just crazy. And, yeah. and, you know, they get into it. They talk about it. So probably the folks you saw on television are some of the same folks that are in, interviewed in this article because they're all, you know, the cool thing about the article is pretty much everyone that's interviewed was there in that battle group. Yeah, you know, yeah. they're decorated veterans, you know, et cetera. But they talk about in the beginning, they were, you know, they were getting ready to de- deploy, like I mentioned, and they were trying out a bunch of new systems. And they talk about one of them, uh, called the Spy One Bravo radar, you
0: mm-hmm. know,
1: whatever that was. And so they were out there trying to get the kinks out of this thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're talking and they're saying, well, we got all these, what they call ghost tracks. And clutter on the radar. And they're like, what, what is this stuff? It doesn't look real, right? You know, cause there's so much of it and mm-hmm. it's moving slow, so slowly and it's completely unidentifiable. And, mm-hmm. um, and then they try to do the radar cross section of everything that they're seeing and it doesn't match any known aircraft. Yeah. So, yep. and then also to complicate that, um, they weren't, you know, uh, squawking any identification, you know, of either being friend or foe, whatever they are, there was nothing being being omitted from them in terms of a signal to let people know, you know, who they were or who they were with.
0: Right, and that immediately uh, will stir things up oh, yeah. uh, in the fleet, in the task force. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the other thing was uh, a lot of these craft were flying in formation. Yes. Yes, uh, so they were- so
1: they're looking at this system and they're like, Hey, wait a minute. Um you know, and they know they're using this new system. So they basically talk about the fact that, you know, in my words, not theirs, but they reboot everything, you know, like, hey, maybe there's something wrong. New system, what the heck is this stuff? And they reboot it and then it comes back and it's clearer than ever, showing the same thing.
0: Yeah. So completely yeah. wild. Yeah, and it's not. They knew at that point this is not an anomaly. Uh, we have some type of uh, objects here that could be very well be a threat. Oh
1: yeah, and they were saying that they were appearing in groups of five to ten together, very closely spaced.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, like you and said, you know,
1: almost looking like squadrons. You know.
0: Yeah, we're talking about here too, uh, the elite task force militarily on the face of the globe. Oh, and they're yeah. they're encountering these things, and they frankly don't know what to do or say about it uh and By the way, a couple of pilots came forward. I hope they didn't lose their jobs because I think it's high time uh for people to allow uh these highly skilled and highly trained and highly dedicated and brave people in our armed forces to speak out about concerns they have, and in this case concerns over something that could very well threaten uh, their lives. I mean, had these things uh, been able to or had a desire to attack, uh, they would have been up the creek without a paddle. Absolutely, yeah. Kev, you you know from all the flying and everything else, in any kind of dogfight, position and angle of attack, and to be able to get behind your opponent, is the key objective. Oh, no doubt about it. Usually the first dog that gets into your butt is going to have you for dinner.
1: Especially in this day and age of what they're talking about, right? Oh, yeah. And that's the other thing, Bill. So they're off of Southern California. They're not in a battle situation. They have the best technology, right? You know, everything from aircraft to radar, you know crew, right all the whole personnel, the best in the world, and they're all seeing this you know again over a period of days, so not yeah. for thirty five seconds or something like that, they saw it over a period of days, there's a lot of documentation on it, a lot of video tape of it so pretty pretty spectacular
0: yeah no it's 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 it, it it's just you know kev and in addition to the aerial phenomena uh going on around the world and in reference to this nimitz uh task force that coastal area uh has been uh it's been reported over there on numerous and numerous occasions of what they call uh what do they call them now usos Uh, unidentified submerged or submersible objects. Okay. They have had many sightings over there of uh, spacecraft or UFOs diving into the water, uh, glowing on the surface of the water and coming out of the water. Uh, And there were also reports uh, being brought to the table Uh, as far back as in the 80s and the 90s that I can recall, of uh, a variety of ships tracking things moving under them Mm. at incredible rates of speed. Super cool. Yeah, you know, now, could we have subs uh, that can move, you know, a couple of hundred miles an hour underwater? I don't know. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe we do, and maybe we don't. But if it's not ours, what could possibly move at hundreds of miles an hour under the surface of the ocean? And what could just—you remember the old voyage to the bottom of the show? Oh, yeah, yeah. Remember when they used to take that cool flying sub Yeah, that out? little
1: flying saucer thing that would take off. It-
0: Yeah, and they'd show that thing breaking the surface and doing like a little quick dance before it lifted off or when it came in, it would kind of hit hard, you know, and the water would splash and then they'd show it floating around. Of course, that was all sci-fi. Yeah. But if you think of the reality of having to know something in at a high rate of speed and survive, not only the occupants survive, But the hull and the structure of that thing, being able to survive uh, repeated operations like this, it's kind of hard to believe. No doubt. You know, you would think the structure of anything, I don't care how you build it, uh, it's pretty much a one-time deal. You know, if you went in hard, uh, you probably wouldn't be using that craft again, you know? No, definitely.
1: Definitely. So we'll we'll have to do some stuff on that. But this article, again, you know, check it out in Popular Mechanics to our our listeners. And I'll put some of the images up there. And then, you know, I'm, I'll put my images up uh, of the photographs that I took,
0: you mm-hmm. know,
1: back in 2015 in the same region. And again, like, I, I, you know, until I saw that that day with a bunch of folks, you know, standing outside of a resort in Southern California. So it wasn't like... We were camping in the forest or something. We're standing there looking at this thing, and we looked at it for about 20, 25 minutes. And I remember, like, we were laughing about it and stuff, but at the same time, I was looking at Twitter and Google to try and see what the heck are we looking at. Yeah. And it made no sound, and it was there. It filled up half of the horizon, you know, basically from the horizon halfway up to the vertical. Right. um, This burst of light just unbelievable wow. out over the ocean
0: wow incredible yeah
1: and 20 minutes is a long time oh it was a, it was amazing bill i mean absolutely yeah. amazing and this this look at this this is over a four-day
0: period deciding yeah no it's incredible it, yeah. it's just incredible and you know me with the ufos uh, i'm full on uh, you know, I know they're real. I know what I've seen. Right. Uh, but you know, I don't need anybody to convince me any further. Uh, and it's the same way that I feel about Bigfoot having not even seen one of them. Right. I'm on, I'm on board with the reality of what others have seen. Right. Right. I mean, you know, you have a couple of Navy pilots telling you that they were tracking and looking at this Tic Tac in particular. Uh, and then the formations after having rebooted their computers appearing on the screen. Uh, do you need something else? Well, I mean, yeah. I- and
1: by the way, you know, just to go further, this is the Navy pilots. This is also like the the airborne radar operators, the ship, you know, the battle group radar operators. Everyone is seeing this. And then other yeah. folks on deck are looking at it through high powered binoculars.
0: Yeah, so it's not yeah, like just,
1: one or two people.
0: You know? No, it's 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 damn near everybody, right? You know what do you say about that? We're all hallucinating, exactly. You know, <laughs> I mean, hands to the sky. I give up. I know. I know. <laughs> wow. So
1: that's that's the uh, the episode this week for uh, cryptids and oddities.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's excellent stuff. You know. And, folks, uh, uh, I, usually it's the case where I don't know really what my brother's talking about, per se. I mean, I still didn't know what you were going to say today. Uh, all I knew was it was a UFO uh, encounter. And uh, But I said to my brother, I am sure a lot of the Bigfoot community, uh, speaking for myself in particular, uh, has interest in a lot of strange activity that's going on out there. And, uh, yeah, and this one
1: was cool. just in the news, you know. So, again, November 12th, 2019, in Popular Mechanics, this article. So, check it out. And thanks to uh, Tim McMillan to putting this together.
0: Now, fantastic work, Jeff. Cool. So, now, you know what? Yeah, what in do you this, got this week, Bill? Well, in the spirit of other oddities, mm-hmm. as you were talking, uh, I had prepared something entirely different. And I don't know why, uh, as you were talking, I just drummed up uh, a little something on our friend, the Rugaroo. <laughs> so I thought to myself, well, Kev's into this other oddities, uh, hook, line, and sinker today. And I thought to myself, what could ice the oddity cake but a little story of the Rugaroo? <laughs> uh-huh. So... So here we go. This is really uh, uh, quite the tale as you're about to hear. Uh, it was brought to my attention by a guy named Terry Philbin, a resident of of, of all places, Louisiana. Uh-huh. Rougarou and, country. Yeah, I mean, here you go. And uh, this is what he had to say about a sighting he had in October of 1979. He said that Two years prior to the day of this sighting, he had met his wife-to-be at Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas. Mary Beth and I had both signed up for the Air National Guard from two different points of the compass and had first met in a Sunday church service on the base. It was love at first sight for both of us, and we actually only saw each other a handful of times while on the base. And then I headed back north, and she headed back east to Louisiana, her home state. We stayed in touch, and I made several trips down to her home, where on the last trip, I had proposed to her, and she said yes. So there's a little bit of a love story here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love story with Rougarou. I mean, you can't beat that. When do I begin to tell a story of a... Oh, no, I'm sorry. I didn't know Frank Sinatra was here with me. What do you mean he's not? I'll crack the jokes around here, see? Speaking for myself, I had no real anchor around my uh, my leg keeping me in Pennsylvania. She, on the other hand had an extensive uh, family and a little girl that she had out of wedlock when she was 15. The family was really tight, and the mother and grandma looked after little Julia while Mary Beth was doing the guard thing. I had decided to move down south with them and make a go of it uh, locally. Anywhere that Mary Beth was, I was happy to be. Things were working out really well. I had scored a job with a local utility company that actually paid real decent compared to the going wages in the area. According to what I was used to, this was a depressed area, but the people didn't even know it and they were happy. I'm sure that there is more than one life lesson wrapped up in that statement somewhere. At any rate, their family had several homes scattered in a small area, and all of them were built on stilts in case of flooding. The reason why I mention this will come into play later on. Mary Beth, Julia, and I had taken over one of the homes as our own, which was really gracious of the family. There was zero mortgage and zero rent, which was quite a way to start off a marriage, Now, the stilts on this house were about six feet tall. There was a well-built staircase that came up alongside of the house, which brought you right into the kitchen. Facing the front of the house were two rooms side by side, with a half wall dividing them. The room to the left was the dining room, which was connected to the kitchen by a pass-through window for serving food. And the room on the right was a den. Both the dining room and the den had a large picture window on the front wall of the house that actually faced the road. There were houses across the street from us as well as on both sides. And to the rear of this house was a dense forest that became really boggy as you walked into it. So he's really trying to give us the lay of the land here. Uh, And you're going to understand why in a minute with the windows under front of the house and the house being up on the stilts. uh, You're going to get a feel in a minute or or you're going to understand more fully what happens here. So he was told by some of the family and the locals that there was stuff in those woods that you didn't want to meet up with even when the sun was shining. (laughs) So he said that he had taken the message at the time with a grain of salt knowing that these folk were a little bit different than he had been accustomed to uh, in the way that they lived and the things that they said. Well, the three of us were in this house for several months, and on more than one occasion, Julia had called for Mary Beth during the night. On several of these nights, Julia had come to sleep with us, and when I asked her what she saw, she said, a big dog. When I asked her what she meant, She said a big dog was smiling at her through the window, and she didn't like him. That's not Yeah, Yeah. And as I said, the same thing had occurred on a number of nights spaced out over several months. So it wasn't like every night she just wanted to sleep with us. Now, this house was built on a lot that had an angled grade to it. The side of the house that Julia's bedroom was on only had about four feet of exposed stilt, whereas on the other side of the house, there was a full six feet of the exposed timbers. I don't know why, but one day I was out next to the house and I grabbed a five foot long rake. I held the rake up to the house under Julia's bedroom window. As a rough estimate, it was about seven feet or so to the bottom of her window and about 10 to the top. I remember chuckling to myself and saying, Now that's a serious dog. <laughs> and I blew it off. I remember the day as if it was yesterday, being the 9th of October. Mary Beth was in the kitchen baking some corn muffins while Julia and I were in the den. I was sitting in an easy chair watching the tube and Julia was playing with some toys on the floor in front of me. I must remind you that this side of the house was facing the street and not the woods. There was a fierce rainstorm raging outside and the power had flickered on and off several times and then it went off for good. We lit some candles and thankfully Mary Beth didn't lose the muffins because we had a gas oven. It was 7.30 p.m. and the lightning and thunder started to come rolling in. It was so loud and frequent that Julia had jumped onto my lap. I couldn't blame her because it was even freaking me out. So much that I was wishing that I could jump into someone's lap myself. I was looking down at a book with this nice pedestal candle burning next to me, and every time the lightning flashed, the entire picture window in front of me lit up. On one of the flashes, I swore that I saw the silhouette of something large in the window, and then it went, bu- went dark. I was now looking straight at the glass, but it was black. No sooner had my eyes got accustomed to the dark than another lightning flash lit up the window, and there it was. The upper body of a large creature with pointy ears sticking up like a wolf's. Whoa. Yeah. I didn't want to scare anybody, but suddenly I was a believer in Julia's story. I told Julia to go by mommy because I had to see something, and so she did. I put my face right up against the glass. And as I did, I distinctly saw something dart off to the side of the house. I walked down the hall to Julia's window and looked out, but I saw nothing. Mind you, it was very dark and the power was out. I then went to the rear of the house, looking out towards the woods and saw nothing there as well. About 10 o'clock, the power came back on and the storm was gone. I told Mary Beth I was going out to my car for my smokes and I grabbed a flashlight. I went down the stairs and headed straight for the front of the house to where the window was that I had seen this creature. I needed affirmation that I wasn't hallucinating or something, but I knew what I had seen, and it wasn't a reflection. As I shone the light on the ground, there were a number of very large and very long, oddly shaped footprints in the soggy soil. They were very narrow at the heel and very broad at the toes, of which there were four. That's right. There were four toes on each print, and the feet were almost 20 inches long, being sunk into the ground a good two inches. I looked around with the light and saw nothing. It was at that very moment that my neighbor Clyde pulled in with his truck, his house being less than 30 feet away from mine. When he jumped out, he said, is everything all right? And I said to him, You ought to come over here and have a look at this. I told him what happened as we both stood there looking at the prince. And he said to me, sweet Lord Jesus, what you've got there, boy, are the footprints of a Rougarou. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah. He said, I never thought in all of my days that I would ever set eyes on them. And here they are. I said to him, what the hell is a Rougarou? He told me, in these parts, it's known as a wolf man from hell, and you sure don't want to mess with them, no way, no how. From what I saw in the lightning flashes, this thing was halfway up the picture window and its shoulders looked to be four feet across. I could definitely see tall, pointy ears that stuck straight up like they were pinned. The weirdest thing were these four-toed hoof prints that it had left being under the window. To this day, I never go in the woods behind our home unless I am armed for bear, or in this case, armed for Rougarou, whichever comes first. Mm.
1: All right, but I got one question. He, so he's there in this storm. Yeah. The kid has seen this thing multiple times. He sees it. Electricity's out. He wants to go have a smoke. And did you say he grabbed his flashlight or he grabbed his <laughs> MAC-10 with the
0: laser sighting? <laughs> I mean, who the yeah, heck well, is going outside <coughs> with a flashlight? Yeah, well, how many people that we talk to on this show take my warning of carrying more gun than they think they're going to need? I know, but you just saw
1: this thing outside your window after other people had said it and there's no power in the house, and it's thundering and lightning out, and then you start to see the footprints, and you're, like, talking to your neighbor? I mean, come on. It's time to reload.
0: Yeah, maybe he should have took some corn muffins outside. (laughs) Yeah,
1: why not grab a a handful of corn muffins? You know,
0: (laughs) I would probably
1: not put my shoes on either, you know, just so I couldn't run effectively. I mean, come on. Bring a weapon with you. Yeah. <laughs> or two. You know,
0: it, it takes all kinds. It takes all kinds. I mean, takes you're in Louisiana, kinds, but...
1: too. It's not like they're not armed, Bill.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think they go out to get
1: the newspaper with a sawed
0: off. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, our listeners in Louisiana. <laughs> I mean it as a compliment. You know. Yeah, yeah. I wish I could take a sawed off out to the mailbox. <laughs> somebody would probably take me away in chrome saying, if I, I did so the gators if nothing else <laughs> <laughs> well i'll tell you you know uh you know the the bigfoot phenomena freaks me out but oh, there's something down and dirty about the uh rougarou dogman thing absolutely i mean you've said it before but to me you know
1: the Bigfoot is terrifying, like some of these accounts have said, where you're seeing something that you've been taught your whole life you shouldn't see. Yeah. But when you see a Rougarou, you know, dog man, you're like, okay, no one ever said I shouldn't see this, but they did tell me if I do see this, I'm probably gonna die. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing. Like you see a a wolf man, you're like, oh, this never ends well.
0: Yeah, no, it's just, it's just, you know. And when I think of the dog man, uh, I probably said this before, but it's just the way my mind works. You remember the old Wolfman movies, oh, the yeah. black and white, yeah, uh, where where Lon Chaney would, he'd always peek out the curtain, and you knew he shouldn't, but he'd always peek through the curtain yeah. and see the full moon, uh, and then the action began, oh, you know. Yeah. And I just think of this, you know, nasty, toothed, clawed, uh, ruthless, vicious beast, you know, tearing into somebody. You know what I mean? It's just, no, and uh, it's the pure uh, evil nature, right?
1: Yeah. You know, you're yeah. talking about the wolf man, You're talking about Dracula, you know.
0: Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, and nobody ever talks about the Rougarou uh, going into an orchard and picking apples. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, our buddy, the our buddy, the Bigfoot, you know, uh, trying to catch a fish, uh, you know, grabbing fruit, maybe robbing some nests, uh, going into the cornfields, yeah, taking perhaps, some eggs
1: out of a bird's nest, not the yeah, what, not the whatever. Rougarou. I
0: mean, yeah, yeah the Rugeru is like, nah, you know, I'm just gonna rip your guts out and. Uh, <laughs> Have a little Thanksgiving feast of my own right here.
1: <laughs> well, that's that's a that's a
0: crazy account. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I hope that uh, brought a little uh, life into the oddities segment of our show.
1: <laughs> you gotta love gotta love the room. I mean, just pure evil, giant yeah, well- giant half man, half wolf. Stalking people. Whoa. Awful. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, and a lot of people that report on the Rougarou, and I got a few of these accounts, uh, they talk about this thing charging them uh, and aggressively coming at them or showing aggression. Yeah. Uh, It's not that way with the Bigfoot uh, on all occasions. You know, a lot of Bigfoot encounters are just walking by, turning and looking, retreating into the woods, uh, it's generally not uh, an attack uh, on a person or signs of real aggressiveness towards people, you know?
1: No, well, how about at the beginning of this account where, you know, you you read how the little girl said that it was in the window smiling at her, but she didn't like it, however she put it. I mean, you know what that yeah. was. It was like yeah. snarling at her, right? Yeah. Yeah,
0: she's calling it a smile, a smile but this thing she is like—it's teeth. Yeah, curling up its jowls yeah, like nice. you know. I wish I could snap you right now. Exactly. If this glass yeah. wasn't
1: between us.
0: Yeah. Come on out oh. with your flashlight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on out with your flashlight. I'm waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yikes. Well, so that's. That's pretty much a wrap. And what do we have, Kevin, lined line for us with our uh, listeners yeah, today? Yeah, we've got some good listener
1: in? mail. So uh, we're going to go out to the center of the United States, to Julie in Oklahoma. Wow. Yeah. She says, thanks for the wonderful podcast. I'm still catching up on your previous episodes. My brother said that he saw a Bigfoot walking a riverbank in Wyoming in the late 90s. I guess these creatures have been around for a very long time. What are your thoughts? Great show. So first wow. off we get our, we gotta get a brother to write in and tell us a little bit more about this Bigfoot walking on the riverbank in Wyoming.
0: Yeah, you yeah, know, very interesting. And once again the association between uh, Bigfoot and a body of water. Yes. this, always, is,
1: this is always along a lake or a riverbank, right?
0: Yeah. So this is, they're either pathways or trailways or uh, places of food. Yeah, food source. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, hey, who knows? Maybe they like to take a dip too. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool off a little. Yeah. Wash the fur. I mean, a lot of animals go in and get wet, no? Well, I mean, I told
1: you that when we were up looking at the uh, brown bear, a.k.a. grizzlies, in Alaska, we were watching them on this little river where they were catching the salmon, and then we tracked this big one came running through to the uh to the bay side, you know to the sound side um the the salt water, and he dove in and he was thrashing around up to his neck in the water and I said to the guide, like, "Is he fishing out here?" And he said, "No, he's just cooling off but they got that big fur coat on in the summertime." It's like the water's a lot cooler out in the uh, sound there. They jump in and cool off.
0: Well, there you go. So yeah. there's the answer to the question right there. I mean, if the big grizzly's doing it, why not a big Absolutely.
1: I never, I never saw anything like it, and I didn't know they did it for leisure. But, you know, our guide was like, hey, if you had that huge fur coat on, it's like 85 degrees,
0: you'd jump in the water too. I was like. Wow. That, that, that's incredible. Yeah. See, and, and that's something only, like, you would know because you were there Or something that this guide or a hunter could share with you. Your average person has no idea a grizzly bear uh, would go for a dip in the water. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. You know, I mean, we've seen them, we've all seen them, uh, the footage of them sitting by the falls and swatting at salmon. Yep. Yep. Uh, But I've never seen one physically take a dunk. Yep. Wow, that's very interesting. Super cool. Yeah, so here, here this guy, apparently, the. The uh Julia is uh reminiscing or Julia her name Julie? Uh Julie, yeah. Yeah, I'm just thinking that's a little synchronicity right there. I'm just talking about a little girl named Julia. Exactly. And a listener writes in named Julie. Yep. Yeah. Super cool. Uh, anyway, so she's she's recollecting for us her brother's story, not her own. No, her brother, yeah. Yeah, in Wyoming, no, it's, it's, too. She's in Oklahoma. It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, really interesting. Very wow, cool. and I'm, sh- I'm sure Wyoming uh, has plenty of Bigfoot creatures walking Very around rural up there. Very place. I've spent some time out there and
1: boy, not many people at all in that square state.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know. Wow, that's just incredible. A lot of, uh, thanks for bringing that to our attention and ask your brother uh, if you see him uh, to contact us and maybe fill in some of the details as to what he saw and exactly when it happened and And how it all came to be. We'd be really interested in speaking with him. We definitely
1: need him to write in. Okay. What else you got? Cool. All right. So we're going from Oklahoma to Alabama to Lester in Alabama. Roll Tide. He says, I spent a fair amount of time actually looking for boogers in Bama and Arkansas. We have had some interesting experiences, mostly hearing branches break, grunting, and some chatter. Hmm. It's just as you wrote in your books, like Russian or Chinese, indiscernible. All of our experiences have been in the dark, and aside from shadows, nothing full on as yet. We'll We'll keep at it, and you guys as well. regards
0: Lester. Wow, that's pretty that's cool. Super cool. Yeah, you know, and I was just saying I think a few weeks back that I don't know what all of this nighttime business is uh in regards to the Bigfoot cuz most of the encounters uh uh that I've put to uh put to paper have been daytime and including uh what uh Julie just told her about her brother I'm sure he didn't see this Bigfoot walking down uh, the river in the nighttime. He couldn't have seen it. No, you wouldn't see it, exactly. But yeah, uh, here's Lester uh, out with some of the good old boys down there in uh, Bama and Arkansas are going around at night, uh, which seems to be the preferred methodology uh, with a lot of Bigfoot people. And uh, the problem being he's hearing branches crack, uh, he's hearing some indiscernible uh, talking or language, as he's calling it. Yep. And yet they can't see anything because it's dark. <laughs> so, you know, I don't like where do people think these Bigfoot go during the day that they're only out at night? I agree. You know, it's, it's not like they're driving an Uber during the day <laughs> uh, and they put on can't a Bigfoot suit. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, where you going? (laughs) Sit in the back. Shut up. No smoking. (laughs) Don't mess my car up. Get your own bag. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Give me five stars or else. (laughs) Oh, that is comical, man. All right. Yeah, that...
1: So we're doing all of the A states. We're going from Alabama to the other end to Alaska. Wow. This is from Bruce in northern Alaska. He writes, fantastic show. I ran across some prints leading up and away from what appeared to be a kill site some years ago. I didn't measure them, but I would say that they were between 16 and 20 inches long. Not a speck of evidence was left other than the blood when I found them. So I don't know what was taken. The area I was in was wide open for miles, and I guess they must walk through here out in the open at times. Very interesting indeed. Thanks for all you do. Hmm. Hmm. What do you make of that, Jeff? I mean, there's just no people up there, right? I mean, it's Alaska, let alone northern Alaska, I mean, I, I talked about it in uh, in an episode, you know, probably six, seven podcasts ago where, you know, that's, that uh, statistic that I saw when I was heading up to Alaska was amazing, where they said if the population density of Manhattan in New York City was the same as the state of Alaska, I think they said there would be 25 people living in Manhattan.
0: You wow! Know, it's just
1: there's there's no people up there, you know. Yeah, I mean
0: now northern. Uh, w- what's your knowledge of northern Alaska? He said northern Alaska. Yeah, I mean, what is there?
1: There's not much up there, you know. From my understanding, there's some uh, just frozen tundra, some frozen tundra, oil and natural gas mining, but nothing really. Well, and that's like that all year. Oh, it's pretty. Pretty
0: rural up there. Pretty chilly, and you're getting up near the Arctic Circle, Arctic you right? You're right in it. Wow! So, so you know, it's just like, what the heck? If this was a Bigfoot, what the heck is this thing doing walking around up there? It's just bizarre. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's uh, if you can have the Yeti in the Himalayas, you can definitely have Bigfoot walking around up there, though.
0: Yeah, and let's face it. No, no offense to anybody. I mean, there are people that live in these remote locations where it's freaking bitter cold and nasty most of the I don't year. No about it.
1: It's their and, land, uh, you know. I mean, a lot of people up in a place like that. That's the land they know. You know, that's where they're from.
0: Yeah, and you're, it's just like you said, Kev. It's what I know, and where my heart is. Exactly. You know, and here I will stay. Exactly, uh, it's, it's difficult, you know, for us to wrap our mind around that. Yeah, uh, but I suppose uh, a bigfoot creature that was acclimated to that area, uh, maybe numbers of them that hadn't moved on. I mean, look, you got polar bears, right? Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah, polar bear. A polar bear is not saying, hey, "I'm going to go to freaking Alabama and live." <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. even if he could hey, get a flight. The- <laughs> By the way, when you were in Alaska, did they talk at all about any uh, polar bears coming where these grizzlies were in Alaska, or any uh, interbreeding of anyth- anything no, like that? No, we, you
1: know, we were on the Kenai Peninsula, which is oh, okay. not, you know, not like the Arctic Circle, you know, not not the frozen tundra. It's kind okay. of a beautiful place. I mean, I've been looking at the weather now. It's pretty cold and pretty nasty, and some good snow, looking at some of the mm-hmm. webcams of places we went, but not, not really polar bear country.
0: Wow. Yeah. It's just really, you know, the whole phenomena is just baffling to me. You know, uh, uh, there's just no figuring out. All, all we can do is kind of uh, stand on the outside and look in and, and talk about, continue to talk about what it is that's presented. You no, know? I
1: mean, we were in brown bear country which again south of Alaska we would call a grizzly Um, but the brown bear is basically up there they eat salmon all day long because there's just you know more salmon than people and uh, they just feast 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 and then they go to sleep for the whole winter come back out again for the next salmon run not a bad gig really
0: yeah if you can get it (laughs) I don't know if you can get into the Grizzly Bear Union that nah, easily. It's not that easy. <laughs> I heard you got to fight one of them to get in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All man, right, that's well, we got the stuff. last
1: letter, Bill, and this one's going to go out with a bang. It's okay. from Bulldog Bobby. Bulldog Bobby? Bulldog Bobby, he says. <laughs> <laughs> I liked your show in particular about the canyon says, oh. I believe I saw a Bigfoot walking on the rim once, but the distance wow. was too great and it was coming in and out of view. To a skeptic, this could be anything, but to me, it was Bigfoot. Thanks, wow. Bulldog Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bobby, I hope you don't mind me giving away your whole name there as Bulldog Bobby. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Bulldog Bobby, I want you to send me in a picture of your mug. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see what Bulldog Bobby looks uh, like. He
1: could be a true Arizona tough guy. You know, they got him out yeah there yeah. for sure.
0: Yeah, you know, and I guess you think he's talking about that. What was it, Kim? The Munga Holland Rim? Exactly,
1: exactly. In, uh, yeah. in Arizona.
0: I'm sure yeah, that's so what he's he, talking
1: about. I
0: mean, when you yeah, say so
1: the he, canyon, that's the canyon. Right.
0: I mean Yeah, there is only, one, only canyon. one canyon. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like Popeye used to have the tattoo on his uh bicep that said Big Mo. <laughs> 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 Remember that he used to drop a can of spinach, burning it open with his pipe? <laughs> and then after he ate the spinach the tattoo on his arm would, the barrels on the battleship's gun would start pumping shells. Start
1: firing. I
0: forgot about yeah, it. Yeah, boom, until you boom, mentioned boom, it, boom, boom. You're absolutely da, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that stuff was great. Yeah, well, so here you go. He have confirmation uh, of a story in a particular area. Of another person that saw something in that area. Oh
1: sure, yeah, and and of course, I I mean he puts it well. Bulldog Bulldog Bobby puts it well. He says to the skeptic, "This could be anything," but to me, it was a
0: bigfoot. Right, right. You know, and we don't know much about uh, Bulldog, but you got to assume he's an outdoorsman. What is anybody doing out there? Yeah, you know, I don't know. It doesn't sound like he was. uh, on the weekend, he's an accountant, and he decided to go marching into the canyon. You know, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not buy, I'm not buying that it's you know Bulldog Bobby's hedge fund, <laughs> 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 and, and he puts on his L beans and starts marching into the canyon. You know, <laughs> all right, not likely, not likely, not likely, not likely, not likely. Well, that is fantastic. And, folks, you know, once again, uh, we'd like to encourage you to go to our web uh, page, uh, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Hit the contact link. Uh, if you've seen something, say something. Uh, and what else, Kev? What else are we yeah, going to say? Yeah, I
1: mean, say? also, uh, thank you for all the kind reviews. Uh, we've been getting some great reviews. So, you know, if you haven't left a kind review, go to your favorite podcast player and, uh, you know, leave us uh, five stars and some great comments of what you like about the show.
0: Yeah, and if you've left a bad review, leave me your address. <laughs> We'll send a rubbery your way. <laughs> well, folks, that's the end of another fantastic podcast. And remember, always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.